we have uh, we have the privilege of being able to go through the the book of Genesis, but we paused for three short weeks to uh, to study this concept of the kingdom. It's a word we hear a lot in in Christian circles and in churches. This idea of kingdom, uh, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is now. We're doing kingdom work, all those types of of things. And so it's important before we continue to study Genesis that we understand the nature and purpose of the kingdom. So the first two weeks, the last two weeks, we did that. There was a lot of information last week, wasn't there? A lot of information. Hopefully you took notes because I talked a lot about the nature of the kingdom, that the kingdom uh, is God's plan for this earth. And we see it from from uh, Genesis to Revelation, from the Garden of Eden to the new city, the new heavens, and the new earth. And if you remember, uh, God um, instituted this idea of the kingdom with Adam and Eve to be His representatives. It was lost, in a sense, temporarily uh, to Satan, who usurped that authority. And the rest of Scripture is the telling of the story, church, about, listen, the restoration of the kingdom. And we are part of that story. So we talked about that progression, this idea of the kingdom. But today, church, is the why. Today is that, that point where we ask, so what, Pastor Keith? So what does it matter that I, uh, what I understand or don't understand about the kingdom? And so that's the very simple question we're going to answer today. There is this quote I'd like you to read. It's from... Um, uh, it's from Thomas Akempis, and maybe you have one of his most famous books. It's called The Imitation of Christ. It's a devotional. Uh, he lived in the late 1300s, early 1400s, and um, he was a Christian, a deep thinker. And listen to what he says. It'll be up on the screen for you. But as I read it, just see how this might describe you today. Do not be worn out by the labors which you have undertaken for my sake. And do not let tribulations ever cast you down. Instead, let my promise strengthen and comfort you under every circumstance. I am well able to reward you above all measure and degree. You shall not toil here long, nor always be oppressed with griefs. A time will come when all labor and trouble will cease." Labor faithfully in my vineyard. I will be thy recompense. Life everlasting is worth all these conflict and greater than these. Are not all plentiful labors to be endured for the sake of life eternal? Lift your face therefore to heaven. Behold, I and all my saints with me who in this world had great conflicts are now comforted, now rejoicing, now secure, now at rest, and shall remain with me everlastingly in the kingdom of my Father. Beautiful words, right? He's writing as if the the Father is speaking to us about our trials and tribulations in this life, but, but how doing the work of the Lord here and now is so worth it Because we look forward to the restoration of the kingdom where we as saints, as believers, will rule and reign with Jesus Christ on this earth for a thousand years. It says that in Revelation 20. 
And so I thought it was a beautiful uh, way to start our, our discussion of the Word of God this morning, to kind of hear words that the Lord might speak to us from His heart. It's a helpful reminder for all Christians in, in today's world of our purpose and that the Lord sustains us in this life and that it's all worth it because one day we will be with Him. We will receive eternal rewards But as our heads might sink low from the burdens of life, he says that we are to lift our face to heaven and look forward and look heavenward to the coming return of the King. Does that give you joy, church? Joy in the midst of trial? So today we're going to finish our look at this idea of the kingdom. The last two weeks there was, again, a lot of information about the nature of the kingdom as we saw God's plan for the kingdom from Genesis to Revelation, from the garden to the new city. But today is that so what moment. So I want to give you a quick recap and then show you the the parable we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a parable that Jesus tells that gives us a great summation of all that we've been talking about. So we looked at the kingdom in the Bible story. We, We saw how... Um, we saw how God appointed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to be his what we called theocratic administrator. It's a fancy word for like governor or representative. But they sinned, right? And they sinned and they disobeyed God and, and Satan took over that authority. He is now called the God of this age. But did not God promise one day there would be a redeemer? He promised right away one day there would be a redeemer. So he has to, to bring about his promise, doesn't he? So how is he going to bring a Redeemer to the earth for all the people that he created? So he chooses Abraham to be the start of a nation, of people that he chooses to be his own people. Why? Not because they're anybody special or Abraham is, but because he needs to keep his promises. And there's got to be a kingdom that is to come So that there may be a representative on earth for God, and that was lost in Eden. And so he chooses Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him and says, you're going to be the father of multitudes, and I'm going to give you this land. And there's going to be a king on the throne. There's going to be kings coming from you and your people. So after Abraham, we see his children, and then later on in the story, Moses comes, and Moses is that representative. For God over His people now. Not over the whole earth, but through His people Israel. After Moses, it's Joshua. And then after Joshua passes on and the people are in the the promised land, who, who is the representative of God on earth? It's the judges. And then after the judges, it's the kings. Remember? Because the people, they didn't want just God to be their leader. They They said, we need to have a king like the rest of the nations around us. And So God appoints the first king, Saul. And after Saul, it's David. Remember him? And then David's son, Solomon. And those first three kings, they each reigned about 40 years each. And things were pretty good. But then in the time of Solomon and his reign, a really unfortunate thing happened. The the kingdom, Israel as a nation, was split in two. There was the northern ten tribes and then the southern two tribes. And it was split from then on. And the ten northern kingdoms were conquered by Assyria. They were the great empire of that day. 
But not only were they taken captive and conquered, but they were dispersed to, to be a people and a nation no more. Dispersed and intermarried with other pagan nations and they were lost. But the southern two kingdoms, the southern two tribes, I should say, is Judah and Benjamin. And God sustains them. Now, they too become disobedient and they're taken into captivity by Babylon. Babylon the Great with Nebuchadnezzar. right? King Nebuchadnezzar. But yet they're taken captive, but they remain a people and that's important. So then finally after Babylon, you remember the next nation that comes to conquer Babylon is, is Persia. And then the, the people get to go back and start rebuilding their land. And then after Persia, it's the Greeks. And after the Greeks, it's the Romans. And who is born during that time of the Roman occupation of Israel? It is Jesus. And that's when He is born. When that fourth main conquering kingdom of Israel is reigning, and that is Rome. So Jesus comes on the scene, and that's where we shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we see Jesus comes on the scene, and we learn all about Him in the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We learn about His life and His ministry. And Jesus comes, listen, to offer the kingdom. He says often at the beginning of the Gospels, Him and John the Baptist, He says, repent for what? For the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he meant was that Jesus was saying, I am here. I am in your midst. And if you want to accept me as your king, then I will usher in the kingdom. And Jesus goes about doing all kinds of miracles, right? Feeding the thousands and and healing people of their diseases and raising people from the dead. He does all these miracles to not only show his authority that he is God in the flesh, But He does it also to say, look, to the people of Israel, I have come, repent, meaning change your mind. The word repent means change your mind. Change your mind about Me. You're waiting for the King. You don't think I'm the King. Repent. Change your mind. I am the King. And if you want these miracles to continue, if you want this to be a regular part of daily life, that's what the kingdom is going to be like. He was giving them a foretaste of what the kingdom life could be like if only they would accept Him as King. But church, did they? No, they rejected Him. So the nation of Israel as a whole rejected Him, especially with the leaders. There's always a remnant. There's always those who would believe and we call them the disciples, right? The apostles and the disciples. The twelve He calls. And then the seventy and then the hundreds and the thousands that followed Him. But Jesus came to offer the kingdom to the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. See how that works? But they rejected Him. So then God's plan, which was His plan all along, as Israel rejected Jesus, the Gospel goes to the Gentiles. First it was, Jesus and John the Baptist, He sent the disciples out and He says, go to the house of Israel first. Not to the Gentiles yet. But then they rejected Him. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, up to chapter 12, they are preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He is offering the kingdom. Chapter 12 is the pivotal chapter. You know why? Because that's when we see that leaders of Israel attributing Jesus' power to Satan and not to God. They say, we see you have power. It can't be from our God. It must be from Satan. At that point, Jesus knows and His disciples know 
the rejection of the king is complete. From chapter 13 on, we don't see the offer of the kingdom anymore. Now it is Jesus teaching the disciples in parables saying, go to the Gentiles. Bring the Gospel because My people have rejected Me. So Jesus came to do that. It says that actually in Matthew 10, 5-7. It says, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, that's what was happening. That's in Matthew 10. Before the nation officially rejected Him, attributing His powers to Satan. That word, that, that phrase at hand means in their midst. The kingdom, the, the king was there and he was, he wanted to bring in the kingdom if only they would accept him. He didn't want to do it by force, as many did, as the zealots did. But he said this kingdom is, is not of, of this world. Remember when he said that? His kingdom is not of this world. He would not usher in the kingdom by force overthrowing the Roman occupiers. He didn't do that. So Israel rejects the king, and therefore the kingdom with it. Matthew 23, later on in Matthew it says these words, Matthew 23, 37-39, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this is Jesus, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But you were not willing. Do you see the heart of Jesus for the people of Israel? See that? See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They rejected him. And Jesus weeps over that. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wings as a, as a mother hen gathers the chicks. See that beautiful language? That's what God wanted to do because God wants to bless all peoples of the world, but through the people of Israel, that was His plan, through the, the kingdom. But they rejected their king and the kingdom. And Jesus makes that statement, well, you rejected me, so you're not going to see me again until you say, until the people of Israel, until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is laying it out. And he says, I'm not going to come back until you recognize me as the Messiah. Until you accept me as the Savior of the world. So he then teaches them all about the end times and the time of his return. We don't have time to go into it, but you can make a note. Matthew 24 and 25. It's called the Olivet Discourse. Because Jesus taught it on the Mount of Olives. And in the Olivet Discourse is an amazing teaching of, of, of Jesus. Matthew 24 and 25. The disciples basically ask Him. They're looking at this beautiful temple and they're like, Jesus, is that this temple amazing? And Jesus says basically, there's not going to be one stone left overturned. And this temple is going to be destroyed and in three days it will be raised up. And they're like, how is that possible? And so they ask him, tell us about this. What do you mean, Jesus? So in Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse, we call it, Jesus lays out what it's going to look like 
in the tribulation, the end time right before He comes. Because they said, what's the sign of your return to earth? What are going to be the signs and when are you coming back? So Jesus says, let me tell you, in Matthew 24 and 25, He tells them all about the tribulation. If you want to read more about the tribulation, look at Revelation 6-19. to The middle, meaty section of Revelation is all about the, 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 the graphic description of those last seven years of the, the tribulation that Jesus says will be like no other time the earth has ever seen or will again. In Romans chapter 11, Paul describes the relationship of Israel and the church to God and each other like branches of an olive tree. And at the end of his teaching, listen to what he says. Romans 11, 24 to 26. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, that's us. See, we're, we're the, the, the wild branch grafted in, right? Because we're not of the house of Israel, but the Gentiles were grafted in. And the gospel is for us. Amen. You can say amen. Once in a while, it's good. Once in a while, take it. So he says, if that's the case, if you as Gentiles, the church, if you could be grafted in like an unnatural wild branch, how much more will these, the natural branches, meaning the Jews, be grafted back into their own olive tree? See, it was, it was them from Abraham from the start. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. There's always a remnant. And we say hallelujah. There's always a remnant. So in those last days in the tribulation, there will be a remnant. And that's what he's talking about when he says all Israel will be saved. It's that remnant of the Jews during those last days that will finally say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because Jesus said, I'm not coming back. Until you say that. So once that remnant believes, Jesus then returns to earth to set up His kingdom. The long-awaited kingdom awaited all the way back from the Garden of Eden. So, today, and this is important, this is, this is, be, uh, this is the sort of the end of the recap and I'm going to get into right now why. Why is this important? See, today, don't we know the nation of Israel is regathering in their land, right? Since May of 1948, it was a huge deal when the nation of Israel was was recognized as a nation of its own on this earth, the Jews began to regather from all over the world, from the, from the disbursement, the diaspora we call it, right? And they're coming back to the land. But listen, church, they're coming back in unbelief. These Jews aren't becoming saved and then going back. All of the millions of Jews in, in Jerusalem and Israel they're coming back in unbelief, but that fulfills prophecy in Scripture also. As one day there will be that remnant. So yes, it is one of the, uh, the, 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 the signs that we're seeing. It is part of God bringing all things together. It's been said, listen, the world is not falling apart. All the pieces are not falling apart. They are coming together. That's because God is sovereign and see, and His will will be done. And so... They are regathering, but in unbelief, they still reject Christ. And just like any Gentile rejects Christ, they need to believe in the Lord Jesus. 
for salvation. So, how does this affect us all today? I want to read to you this parable. This parable is found in Luke 19, uh, verses 11 to 30. I'm just going to talk briefly about the first few verses, but I want to read the whole parable. Maybe it's one you haven't read before. But church, this parable is so important in understanding the kingdom. Because in it, Jesus teaches His disciples right before He is killed, right before He goes into Jerusalem for the last week of His life, He tells them this story. It is the parable of a nobleman. So listen to this story of Jesus. So as they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable. Because He was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now I want to stop there for a second. So here's the context, and this is important. Jesus is approaching Jerusalem for the last time. This is going to be the last week of His life, right? In a month from now, in in March 28th, we're going to celebrate the triumphal entry, right? Palm Sunday, when we celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and all the people shouting Hosanna, right? Welcoming the King. We know what happens less than a week later. Those shouts of Hosanna turn to shouts of crucify Him. Of course, Jesus knows this. And so He's entering Jerusalem for the last time. He'd been there before, of course. And He's coming in for the last time. And so Jesus teaches them about the kingdom because He knew they all thought... Listen, it makes sense, right? Jesus is going to come riding in on the donkey. They knew that would fulfill prophecy. And that's what a king would do, coming in peace into his city. And so they're like, yeah, Hosanna, he's coming to be our king. He's going to overthrow those Romans and be our king and, and, and wield his sword. And Jesus comes in, but he knows, he says, he knows that's what they're thinking. They're all thinking the kingdom that they've waited for. All their ancestors have waited their kingdom is finally going to come. There's going to be all the miracles. And the nation of Israel is going to be on top again and, and, and bless the rest of the world. But Jesus says, no, the kingdom is not yet because you rejected me. So he tells them this story. He said, therefore, verse 12, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten ten minas. It was a denomination. It was money. It was worth about three months' worth of wages. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received that kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had been uh, doing what they had gained by doing business so the first came to him saying lord your mina has made 10 and he said to them well done good servant because you have been faithful in very little you shall have authority over 10 cities and the second came saying lord your mina has made five minas and he said to him and you are to be over five cities then another came saying lord here's your mina which i kept laid away in a handkerchief For I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. Uh, He said to him, the nobleman said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, 
taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him, give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he already has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from, uh, taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Wow, what an end to the story. But I want to keep reading. And when, G, when, uh, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat, untie it and bring it here. I read those, those verses to give you the context. Jesus told this parable, the ten minas, right before he went into Jerusalem. It, um, it's an amazing parable because Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom. They thought the kingdom was here because he was the king. They didn't realize, no, they had rejected him. The nation had rejected him. So the kingdom was not yet. The kingdom was going to be yet future. So, four brief things. And I'm going to bring this all to a conclusion, our study on on the kingdom. Four brief things we can learn from this parable. First one, the kingdom is not here, it is yet future. Verse 11 says, as they heard these things, this is verse 11 from the, the parable, from Luke 19. As they heard these things, He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear. So basically, there it is. What he's saying is he told a parable because they thought the kingdom was coming, but it had to be postponed. It wasn't coming yet. So the first thing we learn is that the kingdom is not here now. It is yet future. And and there's a reason that it's important. Because if we think, church, that we are building His kingdom now, then I think we're going to lose out on understanding what the church is supposed to be all about. We don't want to lose sight of what Jesus called us to do, right? Remember in the Great Commission and He called us to go and make disciples and to teach them? We are to be equipping each other and evangelizing. But if we think we're building the kingdom, then we're going to lose sight of the proclamation of the Gospel Because the world will be changed one heart at a time. Because the heart of men is desperately wicked, the Scripture says. People need Jesus. We are to be following Jesus' lead and and helping the poor and, and feeding those that are in need and caring about what goes on in our society. We are to be the most caring people in all of our culture. But first and foremost, our priority is the preaching and proclamation of the Gospel. That's where I can get an Amen. Thank you. Because that's what we're, that's our main function. That's what God has called the church to do, to be salt and light, right? And to do all the things that Jesus modeled for us, including helping others. But what's the best way we can help somebody in need? Share the Gospel. We can do that by caring for their practical needs and and giving them food to to eat and a place to live and and money if they need it. But all as a means to an end of sharing the Gospel. So if we believe we're building the Kingdom now, ushering in the Kingdom, 
then maybe we don't even believe that there is a future kingdom. No. Well, this is going to be the kingdom. There are many brothers and sisters in the Lord that believe they have to make this a better world so that Jesus can come back. But the Scripture is just the opposite. Jesus comes back to establish His kingdom because He's the King. So the first thing we learn is that the kingdom is not here. It is yet future. All the Old Testament prophecies excuse me, and promises given to Israel will be fulfilled in that kingdom as they should have been if they had accepted Jesus. There will be perfect justice and peace. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be immediate answer to prayer. Are those things happening now? Is there immediate justice now? No, there's not. There will be in the kingdom the one that Jesus comes to inaugurate. And then we also see in verse 14, it says, but his citizens, this is in the story, his citizens hated him and sent the delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Sound familiar? So in this, the parable, Jesus is the nobleman who goes away to get his kingdom. But while he's away, see, it says the people hated him. His citizens hated him. They said, we don't want him reigning over us. That was the rejection of the king. Right? So now, there would be a period of time during which the king would be absent while he's getting the kingdom ready, but he says, I'm going to come back. See, that's the story of the parable. It's the nobleman who goes away to get his kingdom. So the kingdom that he came to offer was rejected because they rejected the king. So remember what he told the people of Israel? He goes, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is that nobleman. He goes away to prepare the kingdom to get it ready. So in the Father's timing, the Father's timing, He will come to inaugurate that kingdom. We are in that time period right now, church, while the king is away getting things ready. Because then he tells us what happens when the king comes back. So, the second thing is, so first we see the kingdom is not here, it's in the future. Because the king is away right now getting things ready. Number two, it's going to be postponed for a period of time. Is what I just said, the nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. In John 16, verse 7, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Listen to how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. So the king, the nobleman leaves to prepare the kingdom, but he doesn't leave the citizens alone. See, that's us. He says, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit until I come back to set up my kingdom. Because then He will rule and reign. So we have the Holy Spirit. We are not alone. We have God within us. You believe that, church? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, the power of God within you. To, do, to go about Jesus' mission, to go about the Father's business until the King comes back. So that's what we're supposed to be doing. Not building His kingdom, but glorifying Him, telling others about the King and how to be saved until He comes back. That is our calling. And this leads us to the third point. We as disciples have responsibilities while we await His return. Verse 13 of the parable says, He came back, He called the servants... Oh, actually, sorry, this is before He comes back. He says, calling the servants, this is before He left, 
he gave them ten minas and he said, engage in business until I come. See that? In, in the parable, the nobleman is saying, i got to go away and get my kingdom. So while I'm away, I'm going to give you some gifts. I'm going to give you resources. And I want you to engage in business until I come back. Right? So that's us now. He has given us resources, hasn't he? He's given us mouths to speak. He's given us minds to learn his word. He's given us spiritual gifts. He's given us talents, abilities, opportunities, blessings to be used to go about his business, to carry on his mission until he returns. That is the purpose of the church, to equip and evangelize, to live out the Great Commission. He says at the end of the Great Commission, by the way, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. I think it's a part we forget. And Jesus says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you. But he says, but I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. He's saying now, he's saying this is the age until the end when I come back. I'll be with you even while I'm away. I'll be with you during this age that I'm away getting the kingdom ready, and then when I come back, the kingdom will come. So, we are the servants in this parable. We are to be about His business, investing all He gives us to bring Him glory and honor the Savior and the coming King. But we can't do it on our own. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient. To be obedient to Him. To do His will and not ours. And finally, the fourth thing. Before I wrap it up, the fourth thing that we learned from this parable about the kingdom, there will be rewards in the kingdom for us as believers. They're called eternal rewards. So in contrast with the two servants that had expected the king's return, remember the nobleman comes back, he's got his kingdom, and he talks to the three servants. He talks to that he gave the minas. And the first two invested it. And he says, well done, good and faithful servants. Did you ever hear that? We say as Christians, that's what we want to hear from the Lord when we get to heaven. This is where it comes from. Well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because the gifts and talents He's given us while He's away getting the kingdom ready, what did we do with them? See, eternal rewards are not about salvation, church. Our salvation is secure in Christ the moment we believe. Amen? There's a big moment for an amen right there. But see, what we do get is eternal rewards in heaven. The crowns He talks about. So there will be a judgment of believers, but not based upon our salvation. Based upon what we have done with our salvation. And that's what we see also in this parable of the ten minas. Because the king comes back and he says, let me see what you've been doing while I've been gone. And the first two said, we invested it. We, we did a lot with the resources. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you want to hear those words from the Lord? But then there's the third servant who says, I was afraid of you. So I hid it. I did nothing with it. And Jesus has some strong words. The nobleman has strong words for that servant, doesn't he? He calls him a wicked servant. And then he calls all the enemies. He says, gather all the enemies and kill them before me. Boy, that's hard, that's hard to hear from Jesus, right? He's telling that parable. And who's the enemy? It's all unbelievers. It's the, the rejecting nation of Israel. But also along with that, all believers when Jesus comes back, because He came the first time as Savior, who does he come back as? Judge. The king returns to judge iniquity. He says that third servant, there will be consequences. So it's for all unbelievers. 
So therefore, we need to be about his business, don't we? You know, um, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. See that? So it's telling us clearly, we all are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is for believers. That can we receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body. That means as believers. So in James 1.12, it's a good summary of this. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who perseveres. It doesn't mean that you can lose your salvation. You've got to hold on tight. It means as a believer, what are you doing with the gifts and the talents He's given you? Are you persevering through trial to continue to worship Him? To continue to honor Him? To continue to share the Gospel? This parable sums up Jesus' teaching about the kingdom and about our responsibilities while the King is away. So you can see Understanding the kingdom has great significance to how we live today. Our understanding of the church and what are we supposed to be doing, but also for our hope for tomorrow. So I'm going to leave you with one final thought. You know, the Bible is full of what we call prophecy. Prophecy is it's a word of God given. It's a promise given. It is a prediction of the future that God will make come true. So Bible prophecy, right, is a prediction. It is talking about something in the future that God will bring to fruition. You know, it's been said that a little over a quarter, but 26% of the Bible, when it was originally written, was prophetic, was about the future. So don't you think it's important that we as Christians read and understand prophecy? If it's like one quarter of the Bible and much of it has been fulfilled already, we need to understand that, but also see what has yet to be fulfilled. Because there are prophetic scriptures that talk about the coming kingdom. Read Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel 7 and Daniel 9. Read Ezekiel 38 and 39. There's lots of prophecies yet to be fulfilled, even from the New Testament. According to the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, written by J. Barton Payne. There are 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament, 578 prophecies in the New Testament. That's a total of 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. These are contained in 8,352 of the Bible's verses. Could you imagine having the time counting these? (laughs) So, since there's 31,124 verses in the whole Bible... The 8,352 verses that contain prophecy constitute 26.8% of the whole Bible. 26.8%. And many of those are yet future, yet to be fulfilled. But look at this. The, The prophecies give testimony to the Bible's authority and accuracy. There are 353 prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about the birth, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they were written centuries before Jesus lived, and every one of them was fulfilled perfectly. Isn't that amazing? 
That's because we have a God who keeps His promises. So if that's the case, any prophecies that are yet fulfilled, isn't He then going to, just by default, by common sense, isn't He going to fulfill those literally? If those 353 were fulfilled literally in Jesus, anything about the kingdom yet future will also be fulfilled literally. But prophecy also gives testimony to the power of God's plans and the promise of His peace. John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where You're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Jesus says these beautiful words to comfort His disciples. Do you know when He said those famous words? During the Last Supper, the night before He was betrayed. He said those words a few hours before He would be sold, before He would be betrayed and go to the cross of Calvary. These are prophetic words that give us hope. He told them that He was leaving, but they could not follow. And, but He gave them words of hope and said, I'm the way, so follow Me in what I have taught you. But He also says one day He would return. You know, we often read the passage of Scripture at a funeral, don't we? Because it gives us great comfort that Jesus has gone. He is not walking amongst us now. He has gone to prepare a place for us as believers that is heaven. See, we believe here at Trinity that the next thing to happen in God's plan is called the rapture. You can read about that in 1 Thessalonians. I think it's chapter 4. And... He talks about us being caught up in the air with Him. He's coming back to claim His bride. Isn't that beautiful? But why? Because we are not destined for wrath. That tribulation that He describes in Matthew 24 and 25 and Revelation chapter 6 through 19, that tribulation is not for us. See, we are not destined for that wrath. And so Jesus will return to snatch up His church, it says in 1 Thessalonians. So that we are not on the earth during that terrible time of tribulation. And then Jesus told the people of Israel, He said, I'm not coming back until you say, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. So there has to be a time of judgment, of tribulation on this earth, where people can still be saved. And Paul says in Romans 11, at that time all Israel will be saved. That small remnant, those that believe, will be saved. And then Jesus will return to set up His kingdom. So we have the rapture coming for us, church, and that's our blessed hope. And then there will be seven years of great tribulation. Jesus said it will be like no other time on this earth. Read it in Revelation. and You'll see. But He says at the end of those seven years, He will come back and establish that kingdom. You know what we're going to be doing, church? We're going to be ruling and reigning with Him. Somehow those eternal rewards that we get at that judgment seat of Christ when our, not our salvation, but our rewards are judged. Somehow that's going to help us in serving Him in the kingdom. But there'll be no more sorrow. There won't be jealousy. 
There won't be anyone saying, look, I, I get a closer seat to Jesus at the table, see? We might think that now. But it will be a blessing, and that is called our blessed hope. Thomas didn't understand, so Jesus said those famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, if you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus as your Savior, what are you waiting for? The time is now. We don't know when the Lord is returning for His church. And after that, things are going to get very difficult, He says. But now, today can be that day of salvation. For Scripture makes it so clear in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever, whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. No strings attached. It's because it's grace. It's by God's grace. He did it all for us. You don't have to believe and then do good works. It's believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior. And trust in Him that what He did was for your personal sins. He says, if we believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Remember that story in Acts, where I think it was Acts 16, where we see the, um, the jailer. We, he just saw this miracle happen and God freed the apostles and He says, what must I do to be saved? And the simple response was, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. When you believe in Him, that He is who He says He is, the Son of God, God Himself, and that He did what He said He was going to do, He died on the cross for your personal sin, then you are saved. Then you are saved. It's as simple as that. The Scripture says that you have then a, a new heart. A new heart. The flesh is still sinful. We still may sin. We are not yet perfect, but we are forgiven. And then He promises that one day He'll return for us. For us, the church. And this is our blessed hope. And that day draws nearer every day, doesn't it? Every day we wake up, we say, it's one day closer. So we are to be hopeful, to be ready. We are to be about His business like He taught us in the parable. You know, I began this morning with a quote from Thomas Akempis. I want to leave you with another one. Here's what he says. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, as we close our time together, bless us as we leave this place. May we be about the Father's business. And Jesus, as You have gone to prepare a place for us, we know that means You will then one day return for us to bring us to that beautiful paradise that we call heaven. Eternity with You. But thank You, Lord, that You also have a plan for this earth. That You will rule and reign over this earth through Your your Son, Jesus, Your representative in His kingdom. And thank You, God, that we are part of that beautiful plan. But God, help us through the Holy Spirit to be about Your business, encouraging each other, exhorting each other to stay true to Your Word, to stay on mission, and to tell others about Jesus. 
to tell others about salvation is only found in Him because He proclaimed He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Keep us joyful and hopeful this week, Father God, until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us go in peace and in hope, church.